This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. Um, I trust you enjoyed that scripture it's a wonderful psalm psalm 33 and uh, this is going to be the beginning of a con- well, continuation of us talking about hope at the beginning of a maybe a short series on songs of hope um because uh, the psalms are very hopeful uh aren't they they uh, the this the, the the way the psalmist often sings himself to a place of of hope and expectation in god and this psalm uh, started with singing and ended with hope and uh, singing and hope really kind of go together. They're quite allied activities, I think. They're both at the heart of the Christian life and the Christian experience. Uh, Christianity is a singing religion. Song is a, is, a, is a really important part of it. And it's a, the, the actual singing of songs, but also the, uh, the, uh, the whole analogy of, 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 of songs and singing as a way of expressing uh, our hearts. It's an expressive 
faith that we have, isn't it? Of communicating with God, of, of crying out to him. And, and the Psalms right at the heart of the scripture. And I think that's kind of deliberate in the mind of God and in the, in, in the way that he reveals himself is that right at the heart of, of his word, he puts this collection of 150 songs of, of praise, of prayer, of intersection, of cries for help of um, expressions sometimes of frustration and despair um, that every human experience and emotion is expressed through the Psalms. And hope is right at the heart as well of our expectation for life, ultimately our hope in the return of Christ. And hope really ought to be what characterizes our state of being in this in this present age. Um, a redeemed soul, someone who is saved is a singing soul. And there, do you see it? You, you read the phrase, sing a new song. Well, we'll, we'll talk about what that means in, in just a minute. But, but, uh, we, we, you know, the, our response to the gospel, our response to all that God has done for us is this overflow of, uh, of, of, of song. And singing is, is a hopeful activity. And although the word hope, is not a hugely frequent word in the book of Psalms. The idea of hope and the concept of hope and the expression of hope, I think, is right in there. Um, and uh, because it's, it's this confident expression of God's absolute commitment to his purposes, his utter consistency in acting in accord to his character. That's that's where the psalmists find their hope. God, this is who God is and who he is. He will not change. And because of who he is, we can have a confidence in how he will act towards us. And probably no word in the Old Testament describes the character of God. If you want to find one word, there's no word really that describes his character and particularly how he acts towards us. There's no word better than the Hebrew word hesed. Um, which means committed love or covenant love or unfailing love or mercy or steadfast love or loving kindness or dedicated love. The way that God has chosen and then cannot change his mind because he isn't a man. He is a God that once he decides, he decides. He binds himself to his word. He binds himself to his his love, his hesed. And that's the way then that he continues to act towards us. And that word is used 120 times in the Psalms. It's used 240 times ish in total through the Old Testament. And half of those mentions are in the Psalms. It really is a word that characterizes the, 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 the center of the mindset of the psalmists when they think about who God is and how God will act towards them and how God will be and why we can have such confidence in him because he is unchanging, his unchanging love. Matt led us in that song, didn't he? Uh, Give thanks to the Lord. I think which is based on Psalm 136. And every other line of that Psalm is his covenant love, his, his, his committed love, his hesed endures forever. Whenever the people of Israel were in a tight spot, that was the song they put on their lips. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord. Sing. Why? Because he has committed to himself with a love that cannot be broken. And I just want to take us through this psalm, through the 22 verses. I'm going to go really quick. Don't worry. Through the 22 verses. In fact, I'm going to break it down into the kind of the stanzas that at least in in that translation in the ESV, the translators break it down into. And just show us this journey that the psalmist takes us on, this journey of worship that brings us to a place of renewed, refreshed and 
and um, increased hope in God. And so the first three verses, <coughs> excuse me, the first three verses, shout for joy in the Lord, are you righteous? Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him on the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Praise and we begin with praise and worship. That's why when we gather together, we begin with that. Even when we're gathering in small groups, we're encouraging. Begin with giving thanks. You don't necessarily have to sing, but express your thanksgiving. Praise and worship an exhortation. He says, come, let us sing. Let us shout. Um, and, and you know what that does? It immediately puts our attention in the right place. It immediately fixes our eyes on Jesus. Thanksgiving, praise, adoration. Um, it puts us, it gives us a, a, a kind of, a, it centers our attention. And it begins to do something that's really important for us, which is it defines our perspective on life, that our perspective on life is defined by the centrality of Jesus Christ. The universe is centered on Jesus. Heaven is centered on Jesus. History is centered on Jesus. And our lives work best and we understand the world and we can find our way in the world the best when Jesus is the center of our vision. And the psalmist says, sing a new song. Now, a new song in the scripture is a song of experience. It's a song that is sung from an experience of God's saving power. And so for us to be commanded to sing a new song, uh, there is implicit in that the idea that we experience God's salvation regularly. We know what it is for him to rescue us, to redeem us. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later when, it, when we contrast our, our confidence in God and where we can put our confidence in worldly things that will let us down. And, and, and the psalm, this psalm contrasts as well. But let's carry on. Verse four and five. The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So the foundation, if the focus of our reality is Jesus, the foundation of our reality is the character of God revealed through his word. That's what the psalmist is telling us. The word of God is upright in all in all his work is done in faithfulness that that God always acts in accordance with his word. And to read his word gives us a guarantee of it gives us a, a revelation of God's character. And it gives us a guarantee of how he will act because he will always act in accord with his word. And then it says this, he loves righteousness and justice. Now, righteousness and justice, the foundations of the kingdom, but are also what we're called to walk in, uh, to live lives of righteousness and justice. And you know, when we do that, when we walk uprightly, when we do what is right, when we have pure hearts, you know, God rushes towards that. He loves it. And wherever he sees it, he rushes towards it. If you want to know the presence of God in your life, walk in righteousness and justice because he can't resist when he sees that. He, he rushes towards it. And then here's a challenging line. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, the hesed of God, the committed love of God. The earth is full of it. Is that how you see the world? You see, I think sometimes we can we can look at the, the the undoubted badness of the world, the undoubted evil of the world, and it can be the only thing we see. But for to the eye of faith and to the eye that knows the character of God, the eye that's fixed on Jesus, we can look and see the world is full of his steadfastness, of his steadfast love. 
What are you looking for when you see the world? It's really easy, isn't it, to, to, to conform to the negativity. And, and I'm not talking about a false positivity, but, but to look for the covenant love, the committed love, the mercy, the steadfast love of God. Because it's there. He's working. The psalm says it's, the earth is full of that. There isn't a place in the world where God is not working according to his loving, committed hesed. How do you see the world? We want to we look in that way. And, and can you see what's happening? We're being drawn to worship. We're being drawn to a, a, a transformed worldview. And, and something begins to, when you begin to see the goodness of God at work. Before Christmas, uh, we talked a lot about the light in the darkness. And I think it's in 1 John. It says that the, uh, the true light is that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Or you may put it the other way around. But, but here's the thing. We, we can often focus on the darkness, but the darkness is passing away. There will be a time when the darkness is gone. But the light that is expelling the darkness is already shining. What are we looking for? Go looking for how God is at work by his grace and his mercy and his compassion. Let's press on. Verse six and seven. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of sea as a heap and he puts the deeps in storehouses. You know, people talk about the sovereignty of God and sometimes we kind of get this glib line. God is in control. And, and I believe that. But I believe that we need to understand what it means, because otherwise it can lead us to a fatalism that, uh, you know, I don't need to do anything. And, and everything that happens is 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 what God intends. It can, it can, it can lead to a, an expectation that we discern the will of God by just seeing what happens. And that must be the will of God. You know, if, if everything that happens is the will of God, just a challenge to you, if that's, if that's your theological position, everything that happens must be the will of God because God is sovereign. If that is true, why did Jesus teach us to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Surely implicit in that is the idea that there's a lot of stuff that happens that isn't the will of God. It doesn't mean that it's outside of God's control. But what what the psalmist is telling us here is he says, look, look, in creation, in natural creation, this is how you know God is in control. He made things and he set the boundaries. He said the sea goes here and the land goes here. And he, he delineated those things. He created the context and he put in the boundaries. Now, within that, lots of things can happen. But God is still sovereign. But it doesn't mean that everything that happens is the will of God. Of course, it doesn't mean that, because otherwise, why does the kingdom need to come? If everything that's already happened is God's express will, why does the kingdom of God need to come? He is the Lord of creation. It was made by him. He set the limits. And then you see it goes from this kind of like, you know, understand this picture that we get from creation to show how God shows his his sovereignty and his uh, authority into uh, the more kind of human aspect. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe in him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And and so it's, it's saying that our response to the, the, the place that God has, the response to the lordship, to the sovereignty of God, should be that we come before him in fear and awe. That when we recognize who God is, there is a sense of fear. The fear of the Lord is, is a powerful and, and positive and, and, and wonderful, wonderful thing uh, when you know that you're 
forgiven, when you know that there is no sin that separates you from him, then the fear of the Lord, you know, that, that he is he is bigger than all things. He is over everything. Um, and, uh, you know, he that's what it means for him to rule. It means that he is above and he has the final word. He has the ultimate word. The boundaries that were set by the natural word also teach us about the boundaries that God has set in his word. He is he's mapped out in his word. This is this is the way to live. This is the way to enjoy all that God intended for you. And just as when uh, the natural world stays within those natural bounds and when that doesn't happen, we call it a natural disaster. (laughs) Um, Just the same with us, with the word of God, when the word of God is what guides us and shapes us and leads us, then uh, we know that we live in his blessing. And when we step out of that, we step into our own, a disaster of our own creation. Verse 10, 11, 12, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and his plan and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he's chosen as his heritage. So now we're getting down into the mechanics of kind of human interaction. And um, when it says that the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, that doesn't mean that God sits in the heaven and is messing with us. It doesn't mean he kind of deliberately messes with the plans and frustrates things. And is just being he's not he's not kind of like a cruel child playing with kind of insects and, and uh, you know, uh, frustrating or, or, or you know, taunting uh, the pet animals. That's not the picture that's being painted at all. Um, it means that that when that when one of the limits that God has put and one of the boundaries that he's given for our security um, is uh is 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 what is expected of human governments uh what's expected of 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 how we rule the earth and um psalm 2 is gives you a good example of that and that when the leaders of people when the nations the kings governments we would say scheme and plan outside of those boundaries that god has given god will frustrate them that that when when human government tries to do more than human government is intended to, then God will frustrate those plans. And you know what? This doesn't uh, really change at all throughout this age. This isn't really going to change this dynamic until Christ returns. And there is a promise here that the blessing that blessing comes to nations and people who in, who camp within those boundaries who camp who know their place who know what they're there to do um of course nation here primarily is talking about the church because the only nation in the world whose god is the lord um is the church of of jesus christ uh that's the only place it's only in the church that that we should that there should be anything uh called theocracy that's not god's intention for human government but at the same time so he's saying to the church, he's saying, look, when you when you camp within my council, when you when you when you uh, uh, allow the, the 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 kind of God given way of doing things to become the thing that you embrace, he says, you are going to know my blessing. But it is also true, of course, that that when human nations choose to be guided by the word of God, by the principles of God, by the 
reality of, of, of the nature of God's kingdom, then they will also be blessed. Isaiah 2 kind of talks about that, doesn't it? When the, you know, that the nations come to the mountain of the house of the Lord and say, teach us your ways. They don't say come and take us over. They say, teach us your ways. Okay, we're getting into the hope bit now. Um, verse 13 to 17, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Um, God is looking. And that for you and I is a great comfort to know. God sees us. He sees you. He's looking down from the heaven. But for others, that's a fearful thing because what they're doing is going to displease him. And a time for judgment will come when each one of us has to answer for our deeds. And then it talks about God fashioned everyone's heart. You know, God designed the human heart and he designed it to be used in a certain way. And, um, and those of you that know me know I have a tendency for using tools in a way that they weren't intended. Um, some would say it's laziness. I say it's 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 a it's a you know it's a curiosity. It's a it's a, it's an adventurous spirit, um, and um, that, that that causes me to do that. But recently, um, my wife was very gracious to me because um, I had apparently a, 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 apparently. I had um, broken uh, a little while ago our our food um, processor. Some say broken. I just say used enthusiastically. Um, but uh, so the only thing we had for kind of blending stuff up was, um, well, we had a couple of things. We had a, a spice grinder, uh, which was mine, had been given to me as a present. Uh, but we also had, there's also a Nutribullet that belongs to uh, Seth. There you go, Seth, 50p for you, uh, preacher's tax. And... Um, and it's very good at blitzing kind of fruit and stuff and making smoothies um, and soups. But there were some things I were trying to mix in it that that, that really it, it wasn't designed for. Um, and my, my wife, being very gracious, didn't wait for me to break it for using it wrong. She went and bought me uh, a new food processor because she said, if you keep doing that, if you keep using that in a way that it wasn't designed and intended for, it will break. You will damage it. Can't you smell that aroma of burning electrical motor coming out of it? And, um, you know, that's that's uh, that's all a bit all a bit silly. And, and you maybe think maybe I should have, have learned this lesson sooner being the, of the advanced age that I am. Um, but. It's saying the same here about about the heart. God fashioned everyone's heart. He knows what hearts are for, and He observes their deeds. He's looking to see: Are you are you using this heart in the right way? Are you using it according to the designer's intention? Are we filling our hearts? Are we feeding our hearts with the right things? Um, because when we do, and that's kind of what the psalmist has been saying so far: Look to God. Look to his character, meditate on him, praise him, worship him, respond to that, because then you're using your heart in the right way. How do you look at the world? You know, do you see it as a place of trouble? Or do you go looking, say it is a place of trouble, but I'm, I know that, that, that the covenant 
committed, dedicated love of, the, of God is filling the earth. And that's what I'm going to be looking for. And where are we looking for salvation? That's the thrust of what's coming on here. You know, um, a king is not saved by his great army, a warrior not delivered by strength, a war horse, horse is false hope for salvation. It cannot save. You know, um, strength expressed through force and violence can never bring salvation. There is a place for shows of force. There is even a place, I believe, for violence where it is to resist a greater violence. But the, here's the thing, that law, um, brute force, violence, um, law and order, defense, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of, we even have that way of calling it, don't we, defense. We have a ministry of defense, not a ministry of war, because we're, we acknowledge that sometimes force is needed to resist something, but it's in order to defend. And there should be a clue in that, because in the mind of God and the word of God, the way it's revealed, these things can they all have a function. But their function is merely to restrain evil. OK, they cannot obtain salvation. And so here's the thing. Anything that is done through a human strength, anything that is done through um, human authority is is ultimately going to serve a purpose, can serve a purpose of protection, of restriction of holding back, of restraining, but it will not bring salvation. There is no salvation in politics. There is no salvation in war. There is no salvation in strength. There is only salvation in God. And so this is a false hope. We're talking about hope. There, it's a false hope to put our hope in any of those things. They cannot bring salvation. Let's even go as far as a vaccine. How does the, how's the, what's the vaccine doing? We're looking at restraining, controlling and pushing back something evil. This virus, all sickness ultimately is evil in its source because it's a product of, of sin, the sin that entered the world through the fall of Adam and Eve. That's where it finds its source. It needs to be restrained. It needs to be held back. But there isn't any salvation um, in a vaccine. I thank God for it. I thank God for it. I thank God for, uh, you know, in the same way that I thank God for our justice system of our law and order, our police. I, I thank God for all those things that, that hold back and allow an opportunity for human thriving. But the only way salvation comes is when the word of God comes and brings Jesus into a situation. And so it's, False to hope in those things because we're we're hoping for an unobtainable outcome. But and here we go. We're nearly done now. Verse 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in what? His steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So here's here's the source of hope. Here's the source of hope. And this is why worship and praise and singing a new song is so powerful to build our hope because our hope is in his hesed, his steadfast love. That which reveals the very heart and character and nature of God. Now, death and famine here is an extreme situation, but it says look, God sees you. His eye is on those who fear him. 
Um, fearing God, we've already said this, draws his attention to us, justice and righteousness, living in an upright way. And God says, I see you and I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming with my salvation according to my steadfast love, according to that which truly expresses my character. Now we get to the heart of hope. Our hope is in the steadfast love. It fills the earth. It's all around us. I, you know, isn't it? I really want to encourage you to develop a worldview that is fueled by God's hesed, God's committed love. And the psalm ends this way. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And we end here with this wonderful virtuous circle that um, that uh, let, let, let your steadfast love be upon us as we hope in you, but we hope in you because of your steadfast love. And, um, you know, we, we know from the New Testament writers that hope produces patient waiting with confidence, um, an active trust that creates a rooted and, and heart-sourced joy in God. And, and, and there's this virtuous circle that as we, as we put our hope in God because of how he has shown his covenant love to us, his committed, dedicated love, his undying love, because he's shown that to us, we put our hope in him. And as we put our hope in him, we say, Lord, show us that again. And, our, and there is a stirring of hope and an increasing of hope as we continually come back to looking to him, to fixing our eyes on him, to 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 praising him, to singing that new song, that every time there's a fresh experience of God's saving power in our life, every time there's a new revelation of his steadfast, committed, unfailing love, his mercy that is new every morning, we sing it back to him. And there is a, there is a, a, a hope that is stirred and that grows within us in this virtual uh, circle between our praise and celebration of his goodness and, and his covenant committed, enduring love and hope growing within our hearts. And so when we worship, and this is my encouragement to you to worship, and this is why I begin at pretty much every live stream with an exhortation saying, come on, lift your voice, let's sing. We worship ourselves, not we worship ourselves, we ourselves worship <laughs> to a place of hopeful. When we worship, we sing ourselves hopeful. And uh, so I want to encourage you, take take uh, every opportunity you can to just to turn your heart in praise and worship to the Lord and let hope, let hope be stirred and increased and abound in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.